0: Remember what the Apostle Paul asks of us? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, say it with me, walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. God wants us to walk in Jesus, his son. Can I pray for us toward that very end? Father, we're once again gathering to better understand how as a believer in 2020, how we can spiritually walk in Jesus, your son. Help us to grasp the beauty of that, but more significantly help us in fresh ways today to move forward in ways that we actually do that, that this afternoon, that tomorrow morning, that Tuesday evening, that we will be walking in Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask these things in his name, amen. Why should we walk in Jesus? Well, if you were with us last week, the Apostle Paul tried to explain to us at least Why you should consider it because of the difference he's made. Let me remind you of a few verses from last week in Colossians 2, 9. Listen to what Paul says. Why walk in Jesus? For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is God incarnate. And verse 10, you, speaking to those who trusted in Jesus, you have been filled in him who is the head and of all rule and authority if you were with us last week i tried to illustrate this when we talk about being filled with jesus don't imagine yourself as an empty vessel kind of over to the side and God's pouring something into you. Instead, if you would imagine standing along the shores of the Pacific Ocean and it, you see water as far as the eye can see and um, appreciate that that represents the, the wonder and the fullness of all that God is. And what, what Paul wants to have happen is for us to be filled as our vessels are immersed into the ocean. You know, We're all experiencing the same reality, which is the life of God, as we trust in Jesus. We are filled as we are immersed into that life. And I tried to encourage us, as you think that through, that suggests so many possibilities. I mean, when you think about the ocean that is the Lord's reality, we can be immersed into the ocean of his forgiveness. There's nothing that it will exceed God's capacity to forgive. We can be immersed into the ocean of God's grace. There's no situation you're going to experience on Thursday of this week that will be greater than God's grace, God's activity to address that situation. You can be filled in him as you allow God to work. And so what we want to do is to walk in that reality. That's what Paul is trying to move us toward. But in verse 11, he carries the thought along in him, referring to Jesus. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I'm not going to reteach this verse. If you weren't with us last week, go to our website at northfootworth.com. It will describe that more uh, in detail. But the point Paul's making is because of your faith in Jesus You basically have been freed from sin's domination. That sin is no longer supposed to rule over you. Jesus has changed that. Verse 12, having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Your faith in Jesus joins you to to Jesus in a spiritual way. You are buried with him. And by faith, spiritually speaking, you were raised to live in a different kind of way with a new life before you. Paul, those adds to that. In you who were dead, notice past tense, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, present tense, together with him. Paul says, as soon as you trust in Jesus, God instantly makes you alive with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to put you too much on the spot, but if you know within your heart you've trusted in Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your life, would you just express that by lifting up your hand? Okay, if you've trusted in him in that way, Paul says you are alive. God made you alive with him. Something spiritually has changed in terms of who you were as compared to who you now are. You are alive. And he's forgiven, Paul adds, he's forgiven us all our trespasses. Anybody thankful for that? I'm glad it's all of them. Not just most of them. All of them. And Paul Clarifies that by saying, by canceling, verse 14, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This God, once and for all, set aside, nailing it to the cross. Last Sunday I said, and I fear that this is true, sometimes what people do is they carry along with them kind of a list of their past failings, their past sins. It's their guilt list. And every now and then we pull it out and just remind ourselves of how terrible a person we are. Paul says what Jesus did on the cross is the most remarkable thing. He paid for the certificate of your debt when it comes to your sin. He paid for your sin list. And yet he did more than that. He set it aside once and for all. Nailing it to the cross. Well, if God is willing to set aside your sin list. Don't you think it's time for some of you to do the same? Why do you keep carrying that around with you? Why aren't you willing to accept the sufficiency of God's forgiveness? You need to cast that list aside because God has set it aside forever. Verse 15, God also affects our present and future. He... God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them, Paul explains, to open shame. He's talking about a change of spiritual realities by triumphing over them in Jesus Christ. Now we looked at these verses last week to basically understand what needs to be a kind of a foundational lesson for us. And the lesson is this, our lives, your life has been Changed because of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's testimony. When you trusted in Jesus, as soon as you trusted in Him, your life changed. He brought you from death into life, He immersed you into a spiritual reality, a spiritual life that He intends to affect your life now for the better. He changed. You. I say that, probably a few of us as we look at our lives would say, well, that's great, but it doesn't feel like I'm changed. I'm not seeing the difference that Paul seems to suggest should be present within my life. Well, that's where Paul tries to move us into chapter 3. In chapter 2, the emphasis is, because of Jesus, your life is changed. In chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the church of Colossae, he says what you need now to do is to learn to live out the change. That what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf, chapter 2, as a believer in Jesus, you need to learn how to live the change out. How to walk it forward. Now, if you're a guest with us today as a church, we've been going through the book of Colossians, which is a letter from Paul to a group of believers in the city of Colossae, and we've been trying to understand day by day the difference that Jesus desires to make. And we've come to chapter 3, where Paul's going to be very practical in trying to move us to experience that. In chapter 2, we know the change has already taken place in terms of the difference Jesus has made In chapter 3, we learn to live it out. So, what does that involve? Well, first, to live out the change involves a new mindset, it will require, as Paul would explain it, a, a new mentality a new perspective as you look at your life and the world around you. You're not gonna live out the change if you don't experience the new way of thinking. Now, as I say that, I would wanna say on the front end, and I hope you'll agree with me, the reason this is so important is, as your mind goes, you go. Would you agree with that? Generally speaking, we will do what we're thinking. And if we're not thinking clearly, then our actions will move in perhaps a a less effective direction. But as our mind focuses on the right things, then we can experience the the life that Jesus would desire for us to know. That's why Paul, as he moves into chapter 3, is trying to point us to the right way of thinking. Go to verses 1 and 2 and listen to how he expresses it. If then you, speaking to the believers, have been raised with Christ, which you have, seek, Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Now, what's lost in our English translation is that verb to seek really is emphasizing a pattern of seeking. It's not like you just seek it once and you're done. Instead, what he's Saying is you need to establish a pattern of seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's emphasizing Jesus' position of authority. Verse 2, Paul expresses it in a slightly different way, but the lesson is the same. Set your minds, Paul emphasizes, on the things that are above, not on things that are on Earth. So I come back to my statement. As the mind goes, you go. Paul knows that. And if we're going to live out the change that Jesus has made possible, it's not going to happen apart from a new mindset. If my thinking doesn't align itself in such a way that it allows me to experience more of Jesus than it's possible, I'm not going to be living out the change to the degree that I would like. As the mind goes, you go, we go. Which, if that's true, and it is, Paul says you need to then set your mind on things above. Now, many of you have read this passage on a number of occasions, and maybe you read this emphasis and you wonder to yourself, well, what is that? I mean, what are the things above? I'm supposed to fix my mind on it. I'm supposed to direct my attention to it. What is it? I mean, is Paul suggesting that we need to spend our time daydreaming about what angels look like? Are we supposed to be envisioning what the the new city of Jerusalem is going to look like? I mean, what does it mean to set your mind on things above? Well, to answer that, I would take you back to what Paul emphasizes in chapter two. Remember, he was talking about Jesus being the the fullness of God. And in verse 10, look at what he says in regard to Jesus. He says, you have been filled in him, Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, don't lose sight of that. When Paul says you need to set your mind on things above, what he's really trying to move us to collectively do is to begin to relate to Jesus for who he is. To view him in his position as king or uh, to acknowledge his rule or his reign over our lives. I need to begin to relate to Jesus in that way. I need to envision what that means for my life. Jesus is Seated in the seat of authority. I need to be thinking about what that means for my life today. Remember how Jesus taught his early disciples to pray in the Sermon on the Mount? He says we're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Part of that prayer, perhaps, is the person praying for Jesus to gloriously return. But there's another element of that prayer where Jesus is teaching us to ask him to bring about in our lives the kingdom of God, the will of God, so that the reign of Jesus, the rule of Jesus is now being manifest in what I do at work, what I do on the weekend, that Jesus' rule would be seen in and through my life. Or consider another passage that I think highlights this. Remember back in chapter one, where Paul began to pray for the Colossians. This is a passage that we've looked at on several occasions. I think it's a pivotal passage in understanding the heart of Paul in this letter. But he he hears that the people in Colossae have believed in Jesus, he immediately begins to pray for them. And I'm struck by what he prays for. Let me take you back to chapter one, verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, what is he praying for? Asking that you, the believers, may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, as you look at that, think again of Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I want to live out what you desire. Here Paul is praying that these early believers would be so filled with an understanding of God's heart, God's will, of Christ's reign, so that they begin to walk in it. So that how they live at work and how they live at home and what they do on the weekends begins to reflect the reign of Jesus in their life. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Once more, let me say, as your mind goes, you go. And if Paul is praying that their minds are filled with an understanding of God's will, that they are beginning to relate to Jesus for who he is. They recognize that he is seated in the position of authority, that what needs to happen is in their hearts and in their minds, they need to have an understanding of that so that it begins to affect what they do. That's what the apostle's trying to move us toward. When he says that we need to set our minds on things above, not on things on earth, for you, Paul explains, have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I'm not going to ask, over the past week, how much attention did you give to your relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm simply wanting you to appreciate that from Paul's perspective, if we're going to live out the change, it's going to require this type of mindset. I don't live out the change that Jesus makes possible without adopting a mindset that reflects my relationship with him. I have to think about that. Day by day, I have to relate to him in a way that allows his thinking to begin to influence my thinking. Thinking. Remember what Paul wrote to the church at Rome? This isn't on the screen, but it's a familiar enough verse that you can appreciate the practicality of it. To the believers there, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Whether Paul was writing to the Colossians or Paul was writing to the Romans, his message is pretty much the same. We need to set our minds on things above. We need to relate to Jesus for who he is day by day, week by week, seeking a better understanding of his desires, his will for our lives. It's a mindset. Paul, though, adds to that Live out To live out the change also involves an outlook. It starts with the mindset. We begin to focus on our daily relationship with Jesus, but we also adopt a new perspective about the future. Verse 4 emphasizes that. Paul writes, when Christ, who is your life, what a great statement, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him, with Jesus, in glory. Now what verse 4 reveals is that your future is already determined if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You lifted your hand, you said, I have believed. Well, your life has changed. That's good to know. Your future is also assured. For as the Bible explains, a day will come when Jesus will return. And because of your faith in him, what the Bible testifies is this, when he appears, you will appear with him. That upon the king's arrival, he will gather with him all of the citizens of his kingdom. All of those men and women who've been living their lives under his rule, his reign. When he appears, they will be gathered gloriously with him. That is, Paul would stress, your future. That's what I can anticipate will be my future experience. Now, if that's true, consider what that suggests. If I know that Jesus is coming and that I will appear with him upon his return, whenever that is, does it not then imply that what I do in the in-between matters to some degree? Now, not in determining whether I will appear with him, Jesus has settled that. But if I know I'm going to be gathered with him Don't I want my life today to reflect that? So this new outlook, this new future in a practical way begins to emphasize the importance of a new pathway, a new path to walk. Because see, my relationship with Jesus should then influence what I do at work, should influence how I react to difficult personalities. My relationship with Jesus should then be seen in the path I walk, not just on Sunday morning, but every day of my life. And that's all the more important because I know he's coming. I want to honor the one that appears. And it's at that point that Paul begins to kind of lay out This path that we're supposed to follow, that because of our relationship with Jesus, there's a walk that we're supposed to experience, and this walk distinguishes us from the world around us. Now, before we look at what Paul says, can I make a statement that some of you, I suspect, are already familiar with, but let me say it all the same because it helps us understand what's going to be on Paul's mind. And the statement is this to Live or walk in Jesus requires dying to self. Not a popular idea, but please hear it. If I'm going to experience the life that Jesus wants to direct toward me, it will involve, day by day, my willingness to die to myself, to deny myself. Remember how Jesus explained that? In Luke's gospel chapter 9, listen to Jesus' own words. If anyone would come after me, let him, let her, deny himself, herself, take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I don't look at this verse as a losing proposition. Some hear what Jesus says and they think, oh, wow, Jesus is requiring a lot. No. Jesus says, if you want to come to me and experience life in me, then follow me. But no, to follow me, you're going to be saying no to yourself. But you get me the fullness of who I am, that following me isn't a losing proposition. You're with me is the point that Jesus is making. He carries that forward though and and adds for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So where's life found? It's found through self-denial and following Jesus Christ. Now, it sounds paradoxical, you know, living is through dying, but that is the language. That I say no to myself, I consider my own pursuits as dead for the sake of experiencing more fully who Jesus is. Now, I wanted us to read Jesus' words because it will explain to you what Paul's about to ask of us. Go back to Colossians uh, 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is our, our new outlook. Then listen to what he says about the path. Put to death, therefore, what, what is earthly in you. And he just gives some examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, Paul explains, the wrath of God is coming. It's as if Paul is saying, now, why would you want to live in a way of life that ultimately will result in God's judgment upon those who don't have faith in Christ? Why would you want to live like those in the dark? But he goes on, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. It's all past tense. But now... You must put them all away. I like how J.B. Phillips translates. You need to put these things behind you. Then he expands the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. The verb there is emphasizing an ongoing activity, which is being renewed in knowledge after after the image of its creator. So that you're, you're taking off like you would take off some dirty clothes and you're putting on clean clothes, so that ultimately you're a reflection of the creator. And who is the creator? Well, Paul explained that to us in chapter 1. It's Jesus. So as I'm looking at the path, I'm walking a path where I'm not embracing the things that once were characteristic of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm turning away from that. I'm, I'm denying myself in that. He adds in verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, and other They're not categories when it comes to one's relationship with God. No, Christ is all and in all. Now listen to what Paul just describes and consider it in terms of a path to walk. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we recognize he rules our lives, we relate to him as the one who will lead our lives, which means the path we follow will be different than the path of the world or even our previous path. That there are, if you want to imagine it, kind of lines that he's trying to move us forward between. Now he reminds us in our past experiences, we've, we've encountered things that move us across the line. And uh, for simplicity, we'll put it up on the screen for your benefit. You can see what they are. They're characteristic of a person who's living his or her life outside of a relationship with Christ. Outside of where Christ would desire to affect and positively influence one's life. This isn't an exhaustive list. It's just a characteristic list of those who are wandering around in the darkness Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. Do you identify with any of those? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscenities, deceit. Again, do you see yourself there? Paul's direction was that you need to put these things to death that you need to execute these things in your mind, that you're not going to allow yourself to move there anymore. And because of what Jesus did, here's the good news. He set you free so that you actually can move away from these things. But let's not pretend that it doesn't involve your mind. You're going to have to see these temptations for what they are. They're death. They're nothing of value to you and you need to put them to death. You can't just do it on one day out of a month and suspect that it will be sufficient for the rest of the month. This is something that day by day, as you set your minds on the things above, you are appreciating, you're gonna to have to say no here. See, walking in Jesus requires self-denial. It just does. One further comment, if I may, when you think about putting these things to death, something that may help you is to remind you if you go in those directions, it just is like death emotionally. There's not going to be life there. I know the culture seems to promote these activities as if they offer life, but they don't. They're death. So Paul says, okay, because of your relationship with Jesus, put them to death. Put them behind you day by day. Now, in the first service, somebody called out and said, that's easier said than done. You agree with that? Now, here's the the thing. What you don't want to do is fixate here. Focus on what you can't do. You don't want to be obsessed with all the things that you say no to. What you want to do instead is focus on where you can say yes where you're saying yes to Jesus Christ. And Paul tries to take us there. Listen to what he says in verses 12 and following. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now let me go back to our path for a moment just to illustrate this visually. Again, we, we know there's a path in front of us. Where are we going to focus? Well, Paul would say we focus our heart's attention on these qualities, he gave you a list of them. Compassion, have a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love. Direct your mind there, because we know as the mind goes, you go. So focus there. Now what's fascinating, is as you look at these qualities, do these qualities remind you of anyone? To me, they remind me of Jesus and how he lived and modeled a life that is there to be seen. And and so the beauty of it is what Paul's pointing us to really is to focus on Jesus Christ, how Jesus would lead us and guide us to relate to the world that is around us. We're focusing on Jesus. And what's even more beautiful is as you move in this direction, you know what you find down this path? Life. Life life is there death disappointment will occur as I move outside the line but as I relate to Jesus for who he is I can experience the fullness of life in the midst of that again I went I wish this was as simple as how I'm characterizing it I mean go on to the next slide when you look at what we're really facing we've got all of these options out there don't we I mean, all of these possibilities in a world that is trying to pull us outside of the path, trying to allure us in ways that diminish even more of Jesus' activity. But what we want to do is focus on Jesus Christ. And in doing that, what are we choosing to experience? We're choosing life in Him, choosing to trust Him in the midst of our situations so that we can find life. Now, that's going to involve us saying no, putting to death those things outside the lines. Day by day, you say no. Walking in Jesus requires self-denial, but what you're choosing is the greater yes. You're choosing life. You're wanting to relate to Jesus Christ in a personal way, in a dynamic way. And so it really comes back to where are we going to focus? Now, you can't undo where your focus was the past week. But as a believer and follower of Jesus on this Sunday, I have every opportunity to renew my commitment in terms of where I'm going to focus now. Are you going to focus on the rule of Christ in your life, the relationship that you're afforded? Or are you going to find your mind drifting in a way that will diminish life? As your mind goes, you go. Truth be known, I already know what people are thinking by what they're doing, don't I? We can put on outward shows from time to time, but ultimately where our minds are will result in where our actions follow. My appeal to us this Sunday morning is let's just focus on the faith relationship we have with Jesus, realizing he's with us, he's in us, he wants to move us forward in this path. Let's focus on him, knowing that it's going to move us down a path that he would lead us to walk. I want to give you a practical way of renewing your commitment toward that end. I want us to close the service by observing what we call the Lord's Supper, where we will in a moment have some physical symbols of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Jesus did all that he did so that the change is possible. We need to learn to live out the change. Well, why not? In the moments that we have remaining, just think about what Jesus did for us. Let me remind you how Jesus introduced this observance to his disciples. As Matthew describes it now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is what I'm going to suggest. In a moment, we're going to pray. But as you receive these physical symbols, I don't want you simply to dwell on the sacrifice that Jesus made. I want you to consider how you're going to relate to him into the week ahead. Are you going to allow him to lead, to rule, to move you forward down a path that further reflects who he is? Are you going to focus your mind on things above? Would you bow with me? I don't know what your week was like. Some of you probably have some regrets. And before we would enter into the observance, you probably need to admit that privately to the Lord. So privately seek his forgiveness. Seek his renewal. Admit your sin for what it is. Ask him by faith to help you to respond in a way that would move you forward so that more of Jesus can be seen in you. Deacon Darren Trainer, would you voice a prayer of thanks as we enter into this time of reflection and remembrance?
1: Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just be with us at this time as we do reflect. Send your Holy Spirit to, to fill the place, not just today, but every day, so we can focus. As we heard this morning in song and both message, you've taken care of our our history. You're taking care of our destiny. Lord, you you made the ultimate sacrifice. So as we do reflect this time, as we're holding the elements, as we're praying to ourselves, and praying by ourselves to you, just remind us, the fact that your body was broken, you spilled blood on the cross for us and made that ultimate sacrifice so that we could have a life with you eternal. Lord, I, I do ask that uh, that we as a, as a church and as believers Do this on a daily basis. Take communion on a daily basis. When something comes to our minds that uh, shouldn't be in our minds or words come to our mouths that shouldn't be in our mouths, that we remember what it was that you did for us on the cross and remind us to live more like you. It's in your precious name that we pray.